Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too. Like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. But I feel like there are a couple of reasons that I'm not a huge fan of this cameo from Percy. Sorry if you can hear someone's, like, mowing their entire lawn. Um, as if you would mow part of your lawn. <laughs> Hey everybody and welcome to Monster Donut, a literary and historical deep dive into the Percy Jackson series and all of its following spin-offs. I'm Phoebe, a dramaturg and story consultant. Emily is not here. I am alone because we are going to talk about uh, The Sun and the Star by Rickard and Mark Oshiro. Emily is not reading this book until we get there chronologically, partially because she has not read the last couple Charles of Apollo books, so can't read it anyway, but also because, you know, we want some of those live reactions later on. So a live reaction is actually what I'm about to do. I am going to walk to Barnes & Noble in a second uh, to go pick up The Sun and the Star. So the first, like, 20 or 30 minutes of this episode is probably just going to be a bunch of moments from my initial read like live reactions cut together. I'm probably just going to use like a like a Magnus Archive style tape recorder click to note when I stop and start recording just so that you know what's going on. And then the end of this episode is going to be me after reading the book talking about my thoughts. But before I go do that, I figured I'd sit down here and record some predictions, I guess. So, uh, first of all, the voice that Nico is hearing, definitely not Bob. Like, I, I'm sure it's a trap. If it's not, I'll be shocked. It might, I mean, it might be Bob's voice, but if it is, he's being used to lay a trap. Who's actually calling him? I feel like it's probably someone we've never met. I'm not too sure about what's going on here, and I don't feel like I know enough about, like, Greek myths and Tartarus in general to, like, guess if it's not someone who's already been introduced in the series as far as people who have been introduced in the series i do expect them to run into misery again 
just because that was such an iconic scene. And we know that she's met Nico before, and so I'd like to see her interact with Nico again. And I also want to see the Arai. I think that's what they were called. The the curse spirits. Because that was like, I loved that scene in House of Hades. Both of these monsters or gods in uh, Misery's case are a great chance to explore Will. And that's another thing that I'm thinking about is like, what are the best situations that we can put Will in that will make things um, very bad for him? <laughs> and so will be a good place for character development or like just character insight. I'm also expecting to see Nyx. I, I think that's basically already been spoiled at this point that like, I, I think we all know that Nyx is showing up. You know, there's a scene I've been craving uh, for a very long time, and this might be an interesting place to do it. Um, when House of Hades was about to come out, I was so sure that Percy and Annabeth, while they were exploring, were going to run into like the discarded pair of flying shoes that Luke gave Percy. And like, you know, obviously it would have been fun to see Percy and Annabeth come up against that, but seeing two characters who have no idea what they're looking at, but we know what they're looking at might be fun. So I'm, I'm fingers crossed for the scene that I came up with when I was 17 years old. <laughs> what else? I know I'm, I'm assuming Percy will show up and it's going to be in a scene that makes me mad because I'm assuming that the scene is like Nico and Will go to Percy to hear about their last encounter with Bob so that Nico and Will know what the situation is before they go down to Tartarus. And Either Nico's going to have to keep it like very secret that he plans on going to Tartarus after Bob or everything in it is going to be totally out of character because <laughs> I'm imagining a situation where Percy would hear that Nico is going into Tartarus again and he wouldn't like try to stop him or go with him because like we know from the Percy Jackson series that every time anyone is in danger he is following them you know it's it's the reason that the first couple quests even happened was because someone was in danger and he couldn't allow them to go without him being involved and so just the idea that after all of this even though it's like books and books since he's done something like that he, I don't believe that he's developed to a point where he can like let Nico go I think he's actually gotten worse in that regard that he would he would never let someone go like that. Um, I think that's enough predictions for now. They're not like very specific, but I'm also really bad at predicting things. So I'm sure half of them are wrong, but we'll see. So I'm going to go to Barnes and Noble now and I'll be back in uh, two seconds for you guys, but in like an hour for me. And I'll probably, you know, check in, you know, I'm going to say every 50-ish pages, but I'm, I'm really just going to turn the mic on whenever I start having big thoughts <laughs> while I'm reading. So could be every two sentences, could be once every 100 pages, which I, I doubt, but see you in a bit. Bye. <laughs> okay, I'm back and I have the sun, the star in my hands. I also just read through up to where that initial preview was, which was like the first 60 pages, which, you know, I'd already read. I do want to say I completely forgot that the first line was Nico D'Angelo, why don't you tell me a story? Um, which I can't believe I forgot when like I've made my brand talking about storytelling in Percy Jackson because uh, so much of when I talk about the way that Percy approaches storytelling has to do with like it always hinges on that one moment in The Titan's Curse when he decides to take on the main character role so that Nico doesn't have to go through being the child of the prophecy. And so the fact that Nico is now the star of his own book and we start with placing him within a story, which is exactly what Percy was protecting him from. But yeah, the main things from these first 60 pages, I mean, the standout thing 
overall for me is that like huge dream sequence. I I have been thinking about that since first reading the preview. I I feel like I almost have to go like moment by moment, but I'm I I'm not going to. I'm gonna just point out the big things, which like that appearance of Bianca lying in the bed next to him, haunting, terrifying, so sad. <laughs> I feel like that's almost the scariest part of this entire nightmare is the moment when you realize he's lying in the bed in the Lotus Hotel and that when he turns over Bianca's lying there next to him and then like obviously the the Jason part where it's like he's back in the room but everything is in its place because Jason wasn't there to like break the bust and you just feel his absence in that way like you know uh, Apollo has that dream where he talks to Jason after Jason dies and it's sad it made me cry but this where it's just like you feel the empty space where Jason was it, that's almost even worse <laughs> but the 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 other thing that really is uh the thing that I latched onto the first time I read this part is the way that Percy is depicted like he's almost this very distant larger than life not just physically because I know he was like huge at that one point but it's like you've got that depiction where Nico describes him as being like the size of a titan and then you've got the moment at the beginning of the dream, but I think right before the dream even starts, Nico is thinking about when Percy dragged Epitus into the river and took all of his memories from him. It feels so like matter of fact, almost like you're recounting a myth about like Hercules or I don't know, just any of the heroes. It's something about pulling someone into a river, it just feels more Hercules <laughs> to me. And when he shows up crying, like that's, we have only seen Percy really cry once. I think he teared up in Blood of Olympus when he was talking about his mom, but I don't think he actually cried. I think he, the only time we've seen him cry is when he was uh, climbing the hill in the first book after seeing his mom fake killed by the Minotaur. And so th that moment is like so, I don't know, I'm so sure that Percy's going to show up in this book and it's going to make me angry. But the fact that we are setting him up, if he does show up in this book, as this hero that's like sort of distant from us and a little bit scary. I, I don't know. There's like this overwhelming feeling to the way that Percy's written in this dream. And so I'm I'm curious about if Percy does show up in this book, what that's going to feel like. Also, that the bridge scene. Oh, my God. I, <laughs> I'm like reliving all of the thoughts that I had when I first read this. Michael, you showing up and on the bridge in my one of my favorite scenes from the, the last Olympian. Like Kronos coming toward them, but not as Luke as like just as Kronos. I don't want to start theorizing because I'm going to be wrong, but like part of me is like, what if we encounter, I don't know, some something that's left of Kronos? I feel like Kronos is important in this book just because it feels weird to include that scene. Unless Mark is like me and is like, I love this scene where Percy uh, kills Michael Yu. I have to include it somehow. Also, I assume this scene, you know, if it's not foreshadowing for like something to do with Kronos later, it's almost definitely foreshadowing for Will talking about what happened to Michael because that is something that we probably should talk about the fact that his brother was killed by Percy and then Will just like had to ride with Percy back to the plaza and heal Annabeth and like act like everything was fine <laughs> when he was now the counselor of the Apollo cabin. First Lee Fletcher died and then Michael Yu died and now it's Will and it's like th this cabin's super cursed. <laughs> And I expect that conversation to come up, especially because we're talking about this scene. Do I have anything else to say about this scene? Um, just like first impressions of the writing in this book. I like that Mark is clearly bringing more of a concern for the character's emotional world. I feel like that's not something that we deal with a lot when it's just Rick writing it. You know, it definitely reads and feels very different 
not in a bad way so far just in a this is clearly someone else's take on the road verse which is fun we'll see how i feel about that after i get past this point um but i'm gonna go read the next part now and i will be back soon <laughs> So I just read the Percy scene. I'm gonna try. I'm gonna try not to be a hater. <laughs> okay, first, just like, before we get there, I like that Will is scared, and I like that we're, like, taking some time for them to deal with that. I was also really surprised that they made it from camp to Percy's apartment with no monster run-ins like I was while they were on the subway I was like something for sure something for sure is coming for them <laughs> when they were on the train it was like very not Percy Jackson for them not to run into something <laughs> yeah so I hmm I feel like I've already said why I'm not a huge fan of this scene preemptively <laughs> but to start off there are two things that uh, kind of bothered me about this one what I already said which is that Percy hearing that Nico is going to Tartarus you know he has that moment where he's like obviously you're not doing that like him and Annabeth are both like I must have heard you wrong because there's no way you're going back to Tartarus and Nico says well I'm going whether whether you want me to or not and the Percy that we know would obviously be like then I'm coming with you if not in this scene we'd see him like halfway through the book which obviously I haven't read the rest of the book but I assume just based on the way that this scene went that Percy is not coming back in the middle of this book having chased Nico down into Tartarus but that's what he would have done in like that's what he does in the Titan's Curse that's what he does in Sea of Monsters <laughs> like there's no way that he's letting someone who he cares about go somewhere that dangerous and not feel that he needs to go with them to make sure they're safe like that's just like such a core part of who he is that it's the plot of several books <laughs> especially because he feels so protective of Nico half the time yeah him just sitting here and giving advice being like as long as you have each other like th shut up I <laughs> And the other thing that bothered me is just like that Annabeth and Percy have like forgotten Bob were somehow are somehow to blame for him being stuck down there. I understand blaming Percy for completely forgetting about Bob after uh, wiping his memory, but continuing to act like he's forgotten them when there was that whole, you know, he tells them to tell the stars he says hello or whatever. <laughs> and they do like that was the whole point of the end of Bob's part of House of Hades was like, hey, you forgot about me, but remember me this time. And then Percy and Annabeth go, and they do. There's nothing to blame them for. And if they did blame themselves, again, Percy is 100% going with them on this quest if he blames himself. <laughs> and honestly, Nico should have anticipated this, which he says. He says he should have anticipated Percy's reaction, but he should have really anticipated that Percy would want to come with him and like, I don't know, found some other way to get Percy to give him it wasn't even for information though. I thought they were gonna go talk to Percy to get information on like what happened to Bob. But, oh, you know what? This is the other thing that bothered me. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, Percy and Annabeth go through this horrible, traumatic event in the House of Hades. And then Blood of Olympus, we see them never talk about it. And when they do talk about it, it's, you know, Percy to Jason, but Jason not really knowing how to comfort him. And we leave it at that. And then Annabeth has this conversation with Piper where she's like, Percy really scared me. And I don't know how to talk to him about it. And, you know, it's just like they're having these conversations without each other. They were in a place the last time that we really saw them where they were having trouble communicating about everything that happened to them in Tartarus. And then the way they talk about it in this book, they're, it's like they're on the same page in a way that they shouldn't be. 
I just, I don't like the idea that this conversation that was separating them happened off screen. This book would have been the perfect time to deal with that, and we're not dealing with it. And uh, I'm just, I don't think Percy and Emma should have been in this book if they weren't going to deal with some of the Tartarus trauma that they've been just sitting still in since House of Hades because they didn't get a point of view chapter in Blood of Olympus when they should have. <laughs> Or at least one of them should have, so that we could handle all of the stuff that it just- Because they went through this huge development, and then we were like, you get one scene to maybe sort of work through it, but all you really do is ad admit that you have some sort of trauma from it, but not actually deal with it. And especially not deal with it with the person who you went through it with, who you actually need to deal with it with. Okay, as long as the rest of this book is good, this episode will not be me just complaining into the microphone, but this is something that I'm actually very passionate about, is the, the fact that we didn't deal with what happened in Tartarus. And so I am going to complain about it here. <laughs> but anyway, I also read the chapter after this where they go to Central Park and they go down into uh, the underworld. And I liked it. I, li I like that Mark is bringing a real like heaviness to the darkness everything feels more dangerous and we're spending our time in the scary parts like you know the the dream is a great example of it but also this chapter and i think there's a chapter after it where they're continuing to try and get into the underworld and they just keep getting turned back and turned back and it feels like he lets you sit in the horror which is nice because i am imagining this scene happening in like a normal percy jackson book and it would be short it would be maybe a page and also just, I, I knew something was going to go wrong when we walked into the, the doors of Orpheus and then Nico turns around to look at Will. I was like, come on, Nico. So I'm expecting some kind of Orpheus Eurydice something from this book. We'll see. Okay, moving on. I will be back. Uh, it looks like there's one of these little like boat interludes every like 50 pages or so. So maybe I'll just check in at the next one of those. We'll see. Hey, um, uh, I just finished this section of the book where all of the pages are black, um, which if you're listening to the audiobook that I'm, I'm assuming they don't uh, mention the, that the pages in the book have just all turned black. And I, maybe weird to say, but I missed Tartarus so much. The Tartarus scenes in House of Hades were just like so iconic. And they definitely, they, they definitely captured what it was about Tartarus that I enjoyed so much. Although my favorite part of the Tartarus chapters is Misery, and we completely skipped uh, the fact that Nico met Misery while she while he was in Tartarus, um, and that didn't happen in this flashback, which is unfortunate. But we did see Nyx and see the blisters and like the moving living Tartarus, so we did we did get some of those some of those elements of it that I I really love. I love that Nemesis showed up because to me, I think I've mentioned Justice is a big part of Nico's character and like his mission in a lot of the books it's a lot of like retro retribution and all that so I like seeing Nico getting to talk to Nemesis and her telling him that he has like an imbalance in in himself that he has to work through also the fact that Nico's mom read him the divine comedy when he was younger as in like nine at the oldest which is just a crazy thing <laughs> for someone to do which like what I'm about to say, I feel like should have a uh, trigger warning on it for suicide. Having that moment where 
Nico remembers a piece of the Divine Comedy and then uses what he remembers and drinks from the Phlegathon and it works. It tells me that some of the stuff that's in the Divine Comedy is relevant and then going immediately from that scene into walking through this forest where the trees are kind of morphed and strange. I mean, it's the it's immediately reminiscent of the suicide trees in the seventh circle in the divine comedy which i remember the forest in house of hades but i don't remember anything about it like all i remember is that it was described as almost looking like like without branches just like hair (laughs) coming out of the the skin of tartarus i think that's how it's described i don't i hope i didn't make that up (laughs) because that'd be um strange but i don't think these are the same woods if they are i feel like the trees are described differently here But going from that reference to the Divine Comedy and then continuing into this forest, I was immediately thinking like, okay, we're in sort of Divine Comedy land. Wondered if Nico had that thought too. Didn't seem like it, but yeah. Loved the description of Nyx here. See, I should have reread House of Hades before reading this book because I know I loved the Nyx scene, but I could not tell you what happened in it. (laughs) Maybe when I get to the end of this book, I'll go back and reread some of the scenes that stick out to me as ones that I should reread, like the Nyx scene so that I can say more about it, but we'll see. Okay, I'm gonna get back to reading this book because um, I'm sure I'll have more to say in a second. This book really just uh, wants to keep proving me wrong. So Nico just said that he met Misery in a dream once, and so that's where he met her and not even in Tartarus. I have to reread that scene and just figure out what's going on. But what I do want to say about this moment, as I really like this this line that Nico just had, um, Nyx is obsessive. I faced her only briefly and she was downright offended by who I was. She's a primordial goddess of night and darkness. There's nothing she despises more than someone who leaves their darkness behind. She doesn't like beings who reject the form they were destined for. So the idea is that Nyx, oh, Will says it like a line later, uh, or like a page later. Nyx believes that everyone is destined to be one thing. Nico, like Bob, has defied that. This is a, a strange interpretation of Nyx. I really do need to reread her scene because I wouldn't even say, like, she herself is two things. They just listed them. <laughs> She's the goddess of night and darkness. They might sound like they're the same thing, but they're two very different things. But if she is mother, I don't know what they mean by, like, Nyx is stirring. Wasn't she awake? What do they mean she's stirring? Is she trying to crawl out of Tartarus? But then why would she be summoning them down there? I don't know. I'm just trying to piece it all together, understand what's going on here. I don't know how you, how you say this guy's name. Minoetes? This Minoetes scene, though, I'm kind of living for it. I think it's a, a real breath of fresh air. Because I feel like so much of this book hasn't felt like a Percy Jackson book, which is fine. But there are like certain pillars that I, I feel like I'm, I'm looking for and I'm not getting them because like it's being written by someone else. And so this feels like a real classic Percy Jackson scene. Just, you know, this bull man not letting them pass until they finish some task. And we even have like this reference of Nico saying, okay, let's make the usual unfair trade. We complete some inane task for you. You let us pass without interference. And then Minoetes saying, isn't that what heroes are for, Nico? Which is reminiscent of a lot of what Apollo and Hermes said in those short stories that we talked about. The staff of Hermes and the singer of Apollo. Both of them say something similar, especially Apollo. I know is like, this is exactly what heroes are for, to do stuff for us. So I have a feeling I'm going to like 
what's about to happen. It looks like they're about to go to Persephone's garden to steal fruit. Also, I really like the world building that's going on here um, with the nectar and ambrosia farm. But yeah, nothing to say about that. Just I like that it's there as a detail. Okay, I really liked this scene between Will and Persephone. Their conversation about being creatures of light married to creatures of darkness or dating creatures of darkness. And Persephone telling Will that he has to appreciate the darkness and find it within himself too. I was also surprised by this depiction of Persephone just because last time we saw Persephone, or at least the last time I remember talking about the way Persephone was depicted, it was that really um, pale, drained version of her that existed in the Sword of Hades. And here she's like extremely vibrant, which obviously is so that her conversation with Will makes sense. And I think it's fall in this book. So I guess maybe she's just arrived and that's why she's like that. Is it fall? Did I make that up? I think it's fall. <laughs> but um, yeah, I just, I really liked this scene. I really like spending time with Will because we know so little about him. And so all of these scenes where we get to hear his conversations with other people, because even the chapters where we're in his point of view, I'm starting to get to know him, but not totally. It's really the conversations that are doing that for me. Yeah, these last couple chapters I have been a big fan of, and I'm going to keep going and hope that that uh, remains the case. So... We just learned, I'm on page 250 if anyone's like, I don't know, trying to only listen up until where I start spoiling for things for them. We just learned that Nyx has Bob inside of one of those regeneration blisters and is holding him in a permanent cycle in there, like a permanently trying to regenerate until he chooses to become Yepetus again instead of Bob. And this really stuck out to me because one of the moments from House of Hades that I am always returning to is when Percy is standing in front of one of those blisters and talking Bob into killing his brother who is currently trying to regenerate inside of the blister, which I imagine is what Nyx is doing here because he probably comes close to regenerating and then she destroys the blister and he has to start all over again. So it's interesting that we have Bob stuck in that same state that Percy had him inflict on Hyperion. Yeah, that's an interesting punishment for it, especially because we're dealing with that whole, like that was the moment that Annabeth was really afraid that Bob was going to realize who he was. And so the way that Percy dealt with that was by basically reminding him by being like, yeah, that guy looks like you. It's because it's your brother and that's, that's who you are. You're a Titan. And basically telling him to choose to be Bob so that he would stay their friend. Like he tells him like, oh, we're friends, right? And so it's interesting that it's Percy having Bob make that decision in front of Hyperion. And now Nyx is trying to force Bob into making the opposite decision by keeping him in the same state that Bob put Hyperion in. Um, okay, I'm going to keep reading. That was just, I, I like this. I like where this is going. Okay, I... Have now read through chapter 30, which is where Nico and Will have officially started to fall into Tartarus. So I should probably talk about uh, everything <laughs> that just happened in the underworld. But this last chapter was crazy. <laughs> With them um, on the Acheron, this conversation is so not something I was expecting out of this book. Will saying that he feels guilty of murder because he 
stood by while Nico killed Octavian in Blood of Olympus. It was like I I I stopped in my my eyes stopped in their tracks. I couldn't read anymore <laughs> because I feel like that's like something that at least in the fandom we've talked a little bit about is the highest um, kill count of anyone in the series. But I feel like that's mainly because of just the way that he thinks of death as like just something that's coming for everyone. And that when it's your time, it's your time. When you're past that time, he's I mean, that's most of the people that he's killed. It's because they are past their time. But Octavian was an exception to that. But yeah, I like that we're really addressing that here with the the voices in Nico's head saying, you know, you're so cavalier with life. You take it away so easily. You distribute death like a badge of pride. Um... I don't know what to expect from this Tartarus stuff. I do know that I am enjoying this book a lot more now that I'm like in it. Yeah. And then this this conversation with Gorg what's her name? Gorgira about lonely souls. The only thing that can help them is a story from someone else or telling their own story to someone else and recognizing themselves in someone else's story. I don't know. Just wanna note that as like a, a thing to keep in mind. I'll probably at the end be able to talk about like the bigger themes and stuff like that um, but for now I'm just kind of noting things where I see them starting to pop up okay in into Tartarus <laughs> I think this encounter with Amphithemis is done now um, because Will just sent him after the uh, dog men <laughs> and I really liked the moment when you realized he was a mania that was really cool I just like this whole this whole section but uh the thing I turned on this mic for is <laughs> What Will did here at the end, by using Amphithemus's mania to convince him that the, the dogman had the child, I kept thinking about, like, the way people talk about the way that Percy was in Tartarus, because I know some people think of it as him kind of going into survival mode, and that's why he acted like that down there. Some people think it's just, like, a part of him that, you know, is always in him, and he was just put in the right circumstances for that part of himself to be exposed to the degree that people will start noticing it a little bit more. I don't know, we'll get to we'll get to that when we get to House of Hades about what, what my feelings are on the way that Percy is when he's in Tartarus. But this moment reminded me a lot of the way that Percy was in Tartarus, um, just because we have this moment of Will coming up with a, a slightly cruel way to get rid of these dogmen, and Nico gets upset with him, and it just reminded me of how cruel you have to be to get through a lot of the things that you encounter in Tartarus and that that was something that Percy was able to do and that really upset Annabeth and you'd think considering Will and Nico's dynamic that it would have been the other way around but it's interesting that we're starting ourselves off with Will immediately doing something that upsets Nico because this is sort of the exact situation that we were just talking about with um, Will standing by while Nico killed Octavian but now that we're here it's flipped um, so I'll be keeping an eye on that. We'll see if it goes anywhere. Also, small bobs here, and that's that's cool. Anyway, that's enough. Goodbye. So I just hit record basically as I'm reading because we uh, just got this moment where they ran into the clearing where Misery usually is, and she's not here, um, which we just had the exact same situation with Damison, them going to his house and him not being there. And I'm just getting a weird vibe off of it. <laughs> like they're in these places where Percy and Annabeth once were, and it's just sitting empty. It just has like a like a haunted vibe. 
it's like you can feel Will and Nico following in Percy and Annabeth's footsteps. Oh, you know what? Oh, but it's it doesn't totally work. The the thought that I'm having, which is more similar to like what happens in Trials of Apollo, that opening moment of like, let's go to Percy's apartment, and it's also sitting empty. But like that's more of like the the vibe when you get there. In um, isn't that what happens in in Tower of Nero? They're like, oh, let's go see Percy, and he's not there. It's just this emptiness that they left behind. Um, I, let's just see what happens in this scene. I'm not really saying anything right now. <laughs> I wish this book had come out in June, so it could be a Father's Day gift to Nico. What is going on? <laughs> All of Nico's negative emotions have been turned into um, little guys. I feel like it would almost be healing though to see every negative emotion that you've had and like isolate each of them and make them just a little guy who's running around and that's that emotion and then it's like separate from you. Genuinely, I don't even know what to say about this. This is- I'm gonna just finish this scene and see- I- <laughs> Okay, I just had to put the book down very quickly because I've been reading all of this at like lightning speed. I'm probably gonna finish this whole book in one sitting. And Nico is mid-dream and uh, Bianca just showed up, so I have to put the book down. <laughs> uh, but at least talk about what just happened because I'm not ready for that. Um... There's a lot that this book is doing in terms of like themes and metaphors that I think is exactly what this book needs to be doing. Dealing with loneliness and how to be in a relationship with someone who is struggling on the level that Nico is and how to navigate how difficult that kind of relationship might be on both ends when the person you're in a relationship with can't understand where you're coming from. And so I've I've liked watching them try to navigate that because it's like, you know, Will will say things that he would never think would hurt Nico. And then you go into Nico's perspective and it's like this, this small thing that Will said really bothers him. But this last encounter with Nyx and this whole conversation around like, accept that you are just like pure darkness and then that conversation that will and nico have afterward where will is like i keep trying to get you to overcome the darkness rather than accepting that that's some a place that you live in <laughs> and that we need to meet there and nico getting that moment with nick's being able to say like i know i live in that and that isn't all that i am and that it's not about overcoming it it's about just like it being a part of who you are, but it's only a part of who you are. I, I'm not a huge fan of this whole idea of Nyx being like, you have to be one thing and I'm coming after every single person who's not one thing. <laughs> um, but on the like metaphorical level of like, you know, yes, you can live in that darkness and also be a hundred other things. I like that. That works for me. I'm really curious about this Bianca scene. I'm trying to think if I have any other thoughts to say before I read it, but I really want to read it and see and see her. It's going to make me cry though. <laughs> okay, I'm laughing instead. I know it's supposed to be a sad moment, but the idea of Maria D'Angelo showing up and then Bianca showing Zeus's figure and saying his lightning bolts do 600 damage. <laughs> like she died from that. <laughs> Okay, I'm gonna take this scene seriously. I'm sorry. Um, I took the scene seriously and now we're back at camp. And I we have this scene where 
Nico and Will are going back and forth telling Mr. D and Kyron what happened on their quest. And, you know, I've had all these questions about, like, why is Percy telling his story in the first series? And what role storytelling has in these books? And I really like that I'm getting an answer here with, you know, storytelling is necessary for connection between people who feel like they're alone. Okay, I've finished the book. Were my predictions correct? No, but you know, they never are, so it's okay. I really enjoyed a lot about this book. I think uh, the Tartarus scenes were a lot of fun, and I think I enjoyed basically every encounter that they had with a mythological creature. I wish there were like one or two more, but really like all of them were A+. plus. Some hilarious people in this. Um, honestly, I think the only one that fell a little bit flat to me was the actual encounter with Nyx. And like I think I said at the beginning of the book, that I'm, I'm pretty sure it's Mark that's bringing this extra horror element to a lot of these encounters and like especially the nightmares like I the ones that stick out to me the most are obviously the one at the beginning that's like 30 pages long that Nico has um and Will's nightmare about the sticks that one's really like it's like a chapter long and it was so disorienting because I think it was our first time in Will's point of view anyway so it was just like reading this scene but from Will's perspective and none of it's totally lining up with what Nico just described for three chapters and then having Nico like walk into the sticks and you're like, okay, he's definitely like hallucinating right now, but what is actually going on? So I liked that, the confusion and then just the physical, visceral pain descriptions. <laughs> but Mark brought a lot more meditations on the actual physical sensations that are going on and the horror that they're experiencing. The other thing they're bringing is that extra attention to the emotional worlds of the characters, which I have some mixed feelings on it it's a good thing <laughs> that we're doing that especially in a book about Nico um who really needs that and I enjoyed most of if not all of the actual things that were going on but like there's something about the the dialogue and some of the internal dialogue like I feel like a lot of this book reads like all of the characters have been in therapy <laughs> like they just have these conversations and realizations in their heads that are just like way too emotionally cohesive and I can understand that from Will's point of view like he seems like the type of guy to just talk like like that all the time but I'm not totally buying it from Nico and I'm not totally buying a lot of how quickly Will and Nico are able to have conversations about these things or even like that their conversations go so smoothly when they're talking about these emotional moments I know that they've been together for like a year at this point but like even then with characters that are this anxious about their relationship with each other who each have their own reasons for that like it feels inevitable that they come to heads on that more often or miscommunicate or can't articulate even to themselves let alone each other why things are hurting them like the only big argument I, there's that one argument that i think is really nice in uh Oh, is it the one that they had um, about Amphithemus? I think that was the, the fight that I liked. And then even that is like resolved very quickly. There, it's just as emotionally, like as, as much as it acknowledges that emotions are complicated in this book, it's, the book is not very emotionally complicated <laughs> because it's not letting them like talk like real people. They only talk like the most well-adjusted, perfect boyfriends, you know? <laughs> I know they have their like miscommunications and all that. But still, it's all it's all resolved very quickly and none of it is like the only one that stays with them for a while 
is just Will not liking the underworld and Nico acting like he's personally offended him um, because Will didn't know that flowers grew underground. Other feelings? I really liked the the middle chunk. Like, I think the section where we met, um, whatever his name was, the bull man, all the way to right before when we met Nyx, that was my favorite chunk of the book. Actually, no, including some of the uh, encounter with Nyx. I really liked that moment where Will saw the house for the first time. We're like mid-battle and Will sees the house of night for the first time. I feel like it's easy in either like House of Hades or this book to start to get used to the horror that's in it. And so I like that we in both of those books have that moment. Like in House of Hades, we have this moment where Percy sees Tartarus, like the guy Tartarus and it makes him like freeze and drop his sword where it's just like pure fear for a moment and then will we also get to have that moment where he sees the house for the first time in the middle of the battle and it's like you really get to understand how horrific their surroundings are in the middle of this yeah i think <laughs> i don't know i maybe you know what i think the reason that the nyx stuff wasn't totally working for me was that i did like the idea of like she is going after Bob and Nico because both of them are trying to leave their darkness behind and she can't have that and she's the goddess of darkness. That makes sense to me. I think it was that extra layer of like she wants to she just wants people to be one thing you can only be one thing that didn't totally uh read for me it felt like it was too a little too on the nose if we're like you know it felt like it was thrown in there just so that we could have that point of like no I'm complicated and didn't totally line up with my understanding of Nyx. I don't know, is that from the myths? <laughs> I, th I think the other thing with Nyx was like the introduction of the the Cocoa Puffs. <laughs> like, honestly, okay, the, I think they would have worked for me if they had been present throughout the book in a way that Nico had to like handle them and they were a part of him working through those negative emotions because the way that it is, they're just like Nyx throwing these kids at him <laughs> at the end and me having to like pull a metaphor out of them because they weren't a part of Nico's journey at all. I think that's my issue with Nyx is that there's like so much going on with her. The, those kids did not need to be there. <laughs> that extra element of like wanting everyone to be one thing didn't need to be there. All it had to be was embrace your darkness. I'm coming after people who are not embracing their darkness like they should. End of sentence. Like it, <laughs> it was just so much going on with her that wasn't working for me so that the thing that was working for me wasn't coming through as clearly. I think like my main like complaints about this book were just that and then like there's a lot of weird details that just feel inconsistent <laughs> with what we already know of the series. Like I already said about Percy, I already went on that rant, I'm not gonna do it again, don't worry. <laughs> um, but also like there was a moment where Will thought to himself that he, he didn't know when he would ever see Apollo again after he became a god. After we made a point of Apollo building his relationship with his children and wanting to be there. I understand being wary of that relationship still from Will's point of view, but it felt dismissive of like an entire book series. <laughs> there was also Hades at the end, the realization that Hades was the one who sent the prophecy and was using the oracle. After again, an entire series of the emperors being villains for uh, their abuse of the oracles. <laughs> It just, it feels, I don't know, a lot of the setup of like what this book is about. It's like, I loved what this book was about. It was like the setup of the book was just so full of things that were clashing with what I knew already going into this book. And so that was detracting from parts of the book for me. But once I was in it, I was in it and I enjoyed it. 
I don't know. I'm I'm going into like dramaturg story consultant mode, but I shouldn't be. I'm not their editor. I'm <laughs> I'm gonna get out of it. I don't want to be in here. Overall, I love these boys. I love Tartarus. I loved a lot of the scenes that were in this book. I especially I keep thinking about that satyr. That was I I loved him, even though he was like in I don't know, two chapters. Same with Gorgira, I think was her name. And I didn't even mention them, I don't think. But the two like woolly mammoth what were they? The Eternas? Or Eterne. So funny. So stupid and so fun. Um, and the bullman, like the, the encounters in this book were so good. And I just, I'm so excited for like, if we get more of these spin-off books, like I, I, I'm assuming, I mean, I think the, the one that we all are expecting is the like Thalia, Reyna, Hunters book. But if there are more, I mean, a book like this for Piper and Sheld, I didn't even mention that Piper was there. I loved, I, I, when I started that scene, I was like, this is strange. Why is Nico calling her? Because Nico and Piper are not friends. But then getting to see that scene, Nico being like, I want to be friends with you, but we can't start this friendship until we talk about Jason. That part did make me tear up. You can't bring up Jason without me tearing up. <laughs> but getting to see Nico reach out and try to make a connection with someone who he is such a like kindred spirit with, you know, two gay people dealing with the same loss. I hope Emily's not listening to this episode and getting spoiled right now. <laughs> and also we know from Piper that she spent a lot of time feeling like she was out of place and like she didn't belong. You know, she has that moment in uh, The Burning Maze that I will probably talk a lot about when we actually get there, where she says that she doesn't totally feel like she belongs in either world um, because she hasn't been able to totally connect with her indigenous heritage or with like her greek mother and so it's like where am i and so like i feel like they have so much that they have in common and that they could like it is a friendship that i would love to see i would love to see that and so have having nico reach out to her i i just again the dialogue in the scene kind of felt like they were both in therapy but <laughs> it's fine i thought that was such a moment for it to like end on to get to see nico reach out to people especially people like him and to like start building a community I want more Piper. I want the Piper book, the Piper Shell book, where they go into Tartarus. <laughs> okay, more developed thoughts on this will come once we actually reach there in our big reread. Um, and then we'll actually get to hear Emily's thoughts and also a little bit more elaboration on the mythological aspects because I obviously don't know anything about them. Yeah, I'm excited to come back to this book. I'm really excited to like reread this book for that future episode and like sit and analyze it instead of just sitting here and... <laughs> saying every thought that comes into my head <laughs> um the bead you know what i'm gonna give it a bead i'm gonna give it a bead and then in uh you know however many months it takes us to get to the sign of the star maybe that bead will change but my bead for this book is hmm oh you know what it is it's uh it'll, it'll be a black bead but with will's like sun lamp that he's carrying around in the middle of it that's what it's gonna be his little like sun orb I got it. I got it. That one's not changing. That's it. That's going to be the same in a couple months. Just, just you wait. <laughs> Thank you all for listening to Monster Donut. Next time we will be reading The Son of Neptune. Hazel, Frank, here I come. I'm so excited. Reina, I'll see you in a second. Um, <laughs> Huh, I just realized that Emily follows, obviously, the Monster Donut account and is going to see whatever art that I post. So maybe whatever art I make won't be too spoilery, but it will be posted on our social media, which is at PJOPod on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. If you'd like to email us any of your thoughts, um, you can do that at monsterdonutpodcast at gmail.com. And now we have a 
Kofi or Coffee, however you say it. Um, someone please just tell me how you say it. <laughs> and you can find a link to that on our social media in our link tree, which again, at PJOPod. And rate and review us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you're listening. It does a lot to, I don't know, boost us in the search results, probably. So give it a try. We'll see. We'll, we'll see what happens. <laughs> I think that's it. This is so weird to do when I'm, I'm sitting here alone. <laughs> okay. Bye. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.